the Great Commission. Well, what is it that we're commissioned to do? Jesus specifically says this to his disciples. Remember, the Bible's not written to us, but it's written for us. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, is speaking for us today. And he says, go therefore and make disciples. So I'll give you a few things just to kind of think about as we begin our talk today. Some believers are called to preach the gospel as their vocation. My vocation as a pastor means that my preaching and teaching of the gospel, that this is what I do for my vocation. So some believers are called to preach the gospel as a vocation, but all believers, regardless of your vocation, are called to make the gospel known through your life. We're, not everybody's called to have a pulpit ministry, but every believer is called, regardless of what your vocation is, whether you're a plumber, a teacher, uh, you own your own business, uh, a student, it's not, there's no age discrimination here. You are called to make the gospel known through your life. Church, the church is not called to save men. Do you know that? The church can't save anybody. The church is called to make disciples out of the men that God will save. Only God can save men. Only God can save you. Your church membership is not going to save you. It's not going to do anything for you unless you have been saved by God. And the church doesn't exist to save men. The church exists to make disciples out of the men that God will save. Amen? This is why the commission, the call that's upon us, is to make disciples. So the responsibility to save men resides with God. But the responsibility to make disciples resides with the church. Those Gideon Bibles don't save anybody. It is the word that is communicated through that Bible. Not just the written word, but the, that written word that speaks of the living word. It was Jesus Christ that came into the hearts of those people on that video. And it was Christ who saved them. But he used the word of God, communicated in those Gideon Bibles. Or maybe communicated through your speech, through your conversation through the preaching and the teaching, however the word comes to you. God is responsible to save men, but the church is responsible to disciple them. Men are not saved apart from the gospel. This is why Paul says in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. There is no salvation apart from the gospel. And men are not made disciples apart from salvation. We don't disciple men to get them saved. They are discipled because God has saved them. Our mission is to reach people and help them grow to become fully functioning followers of Christ. We can reach them, we can help them, but only God 
can save them. But once God saves them, however it is they come to be saved, whether it's in a hotel room, reading a Gideon's Bible, or sitting in a chair or a pew in a church on Sunday morning and responding to the message, however, whatever vehicle God chooses to use to save them, it is after that salvation that that they are to become disciples. And so we need to understand this. It's not our responsibility to save men, but it is our responsibility to disciple men. The church is not called to make sure people are saved. The church is called to make sure that they are disciples. We're not called to make sure people are saved. We're called to make disciples. Amen? This is what Jesus commissioned His disciples to do. And in commissioning His disciples... He has commissioned us for that same purpose. So it is God's business to save people. It's the church's business to disciple them. But the power to do both, whether it is the power to save or the power to become a disciple, the power to do both resides in the gospel. Amen? This is why it is so important for churches, for believers, to know the gospel. And the gospel's not... Four easy steps to salvation. The gospel is the entirety of this message. The entirety of this book that speaks of a person. His name is Jesus. And so it's God's business to save people. It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And it is salvation that leads us to discipleship. Salvation is unto discipleship. And so the church has a call, a commitment to the call. What is the call? The call is to make disciples. The church is called to make disciples. The church is called and commissioned to make disciples of who? Of those men and those women and those children that God will save. And discipleship is never accidental. Did you know that? There are no accidental disciples. Discipleship is on purpose. It must be on purpose. It's not accidental. Disciples are purposefully made or not made. The fact that Jesus calls the church to make disciples. Notice what Jesus says, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples. Have any of you ladies ever just had a pie or a cake accidentally make in your kitchen? No. Guys, has your car just accidentally gotten fixed? No. Disciples don't just accidentally happen. But I think sometimes that's the way that we want to believe that it happens. So discipleship's not accidental. It's not something that men achieve by themselves outside of community. So we're talking about a commitment to call, a commitment to creation, and a commitment to community. So think about this. A potter does not accidentally form a pot. And pots don't just accidentally form by themselves, right? Accidental pots really aren't very useful. I mean, have you ever been out camping and you needed something? 
and you forgot to bring it from home, well, you might find something out there that will work for the moment, but you're not going to carry that home and use that because those things don't just happen by accident. Those tools and those utensils, like a pot, doesn't just accidentally get made. Accidental pots are not really pots at all. Pots are vessels that are created or formed with useful purpose. Amen? So disciples are made, so that means there must be those that are making them. Or we might say this, there needs to be skillful and purposeful people that are making disciples because disciples don't just get made. I was thinking about that this this morning. Now here we are, sitting here, and we live in the central time zone. So let's just say, just in the central standard time zone that we live in, which encompasses much of the central part of the United States, all the way down to the tip of South America. So here we are in this time zone, and right now at this very time, there are people all over this time zone sitting in churches or buildings or homes or somewhere just like you are listening to a pastor or a preacher, somebody teach, preach the Bible on this Sunday morning. There's people all over that are, that are listening, that are in church, hearing the Word of God. Now, how did we come to be here today hearing the Word of God? Now, I've said this before. Who is it that, who is it that makes disciples? If disciples aren't accidentally made, so for instance, if you've got a car problem, my wife will back me up on this, I'm not the person you want to call to fix your car. Now, I might be able to do something, you know, pretty simply. Scott Keene is the guy that you want to call to, sorry, Scott. But, but you, you know, you want to call a professional, right? You want to call someone that knows what they're doing. How did we come? How did disciples come to be? Now, think about Jesus. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was born. He lived about 33 years on the earth. In about the last three and a half years of his life, from the time he was 30 years old, when Jesus was baptized at the River Jordan, Jesus was 30 years old. That is when he entered into his public ministry at the age of 30. Some three and a half years later, Jesus is crucified. And in those three and a half years, Jesus made disciples. Now, we commonly think of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. There, there actually were more than that. But there were really 12 that were with him all the time that, we, that, that came to be known as his 12 disciples. One of them, Jesus said, was a devil. He was never really his. He didn't belong to him. Jesus didn't lose Judas because Judas never belonged to Jesus. This is what Jesus said. And so... Jesus, personally, for some three years, discipled these men. 
We know that on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 that came out of the upper room. So in three and a half years, we know that Jesus touched at least 120 people to the degree that they were all assembled together on that day of Pentecost, 50, years after his, 50 days after his resurrection. 50 days after his resurrection, there's 120 assembled in an upper room. They were discipled to the point that they were waiting, they were obeying what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Tarry there until you receive the promise of the Father. Do you realize that we are sitting in this room today, you are listening to me talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ because one man, his name was Jesus, was faithful to disciple, I mean, let's, let's just be honest, a handful of people. And really and truly from those 12 that were with him, there were three that were there all the time, Peter, James, and John. Do you see the power of discipleship? Do you realize that really and truly we are here because Jesus was committed to discipleship? This, you're not here because some magic happened. God didn't just go, poof, I think I'll create a few million disciples. He could have done that, right? But he didn't do that. Jesus Christ really walked with and talked with and cried with and laughed with and suffered with his disciples. And as a result of that commitment to discipleship, we are here today talking about him, reading his word. Somebody, I don't know where the Gideons came from, but somebody established an organization that has put millions upon millions of of the scriptures to be distributed throughout the world. And that's just one organization. And it started with a man calling disciples to follow him. God has not changed his method. He has not. So pots aren't accidentally made. They're made with and for purpose. Disciples are made, so there must be those making disciples. Remember, only God can save you, but we're called to make disciples. You're a product of discipleship, whether you realize it or not. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, the church has not done real good in the area, I believe, of discipleship. But God has been faithful and is faithful to His church, to build His church, to make sure that what He has ordained before time begins shall be accomplished in spite of man's failings. Amen? Amen. So the church 
is called to make disciples. There must be a commitment to the call. And we know that disciples don't happen by accident. So discipleship is not evolution. There must be a commitment to creation. Now, I really don't think it's an accident. Do you you realize there's a struggle going on within the church, within the evangelical church today, trying to figure out whether God really created the world in six days or whether those six days represent billions and billions. Y'all don't know. um, He's he's not with us anymore, but um, the cosmos guy, Carl Sagan. I used to watch, I used to love to watch Carl Sagan. I'm dating myself now. There is this debate going on. Whether God really did it in six days or whether he's taken billions upon billions of years. We've had Dr. Larry Mitchum here twice and he's waiting to come again. He's got new material and we're going to schedule it. And We've actually got people in the community that really want to come and hear what he has to say. He was able to go to T.H. Uh, Johnson and do a presentation there and he really got some of the teacher's attention. And so, um, so if you've set in on any of Dr. Larry's stuff, you know that he is a young earth creationist. But here's the thing. It's not an accident that evangelicals or the evangelical church today is struggling with the very truth that in the beginning God created. This is what Genesis 1-1 says. In the beginning God created created. And it chronicles the six days of creation. Hebrews 11.3 says that we know that God created the things that are seen from things that are not seen. How? By the word of God. And God said, let there be light. A pew a research forum just finished a major study of worldwide, uh, a study of evangelicals from all over the world that gathered in Cape Town, South Africa, in 2010. And out of all of the thousands of evangelical leaders that gathered there, there were over 4,000 that gathered in Cape Town, I do believe. And most of those 4,000 were kind enough to fill out the Pew Research Forum questionnaire. And the first question they asked was about their belief concerning creation. 47% of those attending believed in traditional creationism. That means they believe that God really did create the world in six days. 41% believed in what we will just use the term theistic evolution. They believe in evolution, but they believe God instigated evolution and he caused all of us to come to be who we are today through, the, through evolution, but it was God who kick-started the evolutionary process. 41% believe that. And then 3% of the respondents believe in scientific evolution. But here's what was kind of striking to me. Less than half believed in the literal version of what the Scripture gives us. Your beliefs, what you believe, really does matter. Do you you understand that? It really is. It, It matters. 
If we cannot believe, if we cannot believe in the beginning God created, how are we going to believe for God so loved the world? Or how are we going to believe all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth? Go, therefore, and make disciples. How are we going to believe that? So, what we, what we take in and what we believe about everything, really, is connected to this main thing, this question of who God is. So in talking about discipleship, we need to understand that discipleship is not evolution. Jesus said, go and make disciples. In the beginning, God created, says, there is a God who made, who created the world. He didn't just oversee some cosmic compilation of whatever, and out of that came what we have today. The church, in too many ways, has treated discipleship like something that happens spontaneously or through evolution. Given the right conditions, it'll happen. So discipleship doesn't happen just because we have the right conditions or environment for people to evolve from what? Lifeless forms into fully functioning followers of Christ? I mean, if we have the right music, if we've got the right kind of chairs, if they're comfortable enough, if we've got the building with the right atmosphere, if we don't have ceiling tiles that are sagging, you see our sagging ceiling tiles? I hate to point them out to you, but they really are. They're over 30 years old that could hinder someone's discipleship. They bother me. I'll just be honest with you. I look at them every time I come in this building. They bother me. Now, see, I did a no-no. I pointed that out. Now, you guys are going to start looking at them every time you come in, aren't you? You are. But, but now, you see how blind we become to things. We really do. We become blind to things. We see things. Every day, we experience things every day, and we just become numb to things, blind to things. God doesn't want us to be that way. God doesn't want you to become blind to Him, numb to Him. He doesn't want to become just another tradition in your life. He doesn't want to be just another person you hear about one day a week. Or the church be just someplace you go once or twice a week, or once or twice a month, or once or twice a year for some people, Easter and Sunday, Easter and Christmas. God doesn't want your faith to be that way. And in talking about discipleship, this is, this is, not, this is not the kind of faith that a disciple is to have. So this idea that if we get everything right, if we create the right atmosphere, it's going to happen. People are going to love God. They're going to get excited about God. Well, listen, the fact that we have heat and air is going to make it a lot more tolerable for you to sit here on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm going to grant you that. So we're going to always make sure you have heat and air. 
We tried to buy the most comfortable chairs that we could, and I think we did a pretty good job. They're ergonomically correct. They have real thick foam. They have a lifetime guarantee. I mean, it's a lot better than sitting on a hard wooden bench, right? Yeah, it is. But I'm telling you what, discipleship's not going to happen just because we get the conditions and the environment right. That's what evolution teaches. There was just the right condition, just the right environment, and poof, life sprang forth. And look what we have today from that just right condition that took place billions and billions and billions of years ago. No, I don't think so. It takes a lot more faith for me to believe that all of you in your diversity, plus all the trees and all the plants and all the bugs and all the kitties and puppies and snakes and snails, all of that came... No, I don't think so. There was a creator who created it. Someone made it happen. Discipleship is not going to happen just because... You happen to come to the right environment once or twice a week at best. Now, it's going to happen because someone's going to make it happen. And Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and create environments for disciples to evolve and spontaneously appear. He said, go into all the world and make, 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 make disciples of the nations. The church does not exist so that there can be an environment for discipleship to evolve. The church exists to make disciples because disciples don't evolve. They are made. God, the creator, created the universe. He created man. And do you know that he created the church? Who is the church? It's not this building with sagging Ceiling tiles. No. You are the church. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you have been born again and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you are the church. We assemble together here. We are the church. Everybody hold up your index finger. Put it, you see it? Is your index finger a body? What is it? It's a part of the body. It is true that you are, as an individual, the church. Mm, but really, more accurately, you are the church because you have been brought into a body. And where did that body come from? Did it just happen? No. It was made. It was created. God created the church. Now think about this. A potter, a potter does not create the clay unless we're talking about God the potter. Now God the potter not only creates the pots, but he created the clay that the pots are made out of. But, but I'm talking about earthly potters. Everybody ever, anybody ever see a potter make pots? It's, it's fascinating to watch. But you know what? You know what the potter didn't make? Didn't create? The potter didn't create the clay that it's making the pot from. So a potter doesn't create the clay. He simply takes what God has created and he forms it. So disciples are formed by other disciples as they become new creations in Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. We pass over that, and it, it has far less significance in our minds than it truly has in the Word of God. Because when it says that you, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, that's exactly what it means. The old is passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm telling you what, that's why you, Christian, are the greatest miracle you will ever witness or ever know. Yet we let that miraculous thing just pass over us and we have reduced it down to obscurity and we don't even call it a miracle anymore. But I'm going to tell you what, the fact that you are a new creation is the most miraculous thing that has or ever will happen in your life. And that's true whether you believe it or not. Because we don't understand the significance of what has truly transpired and has happened to us when we were born again, when we were saved, when we became children of God by grace through faith. You didn't save yourself, God saved you. You didn't make yourself new, God made you new. In fact, he made you a new creation, something that had never existed before and something that will now exist for all eternity. Do you understand that? You are something that has never existed before and you are something that will exist throughout eternity without end in Christ. So out of the raw material, listen, out of the raw material of a new creation, God commands that we, the church, make, form, create disciples. God created the clay. Here he says, here's new clay. Now church, make disciples. Form disciples. Create disciples from this new creation that I have provided for you. There must be a commitment to the call. There must be a commitment to creation. We can't expect the church, not just Christ Fellowship, but the church cannot expect that the discipleship is just going to happen. If we want to believe that's how creation happened, well, don't even call it creation. If you want to believe that's how you got here, then it's reasonable for you to believe that's how discipleship's going to happen too. But if we believe what the Scripture declares, that in the beginning God created, and now He says, church, go and make disciples, we have to know and we have to believe that discipleship is not going to just happen. It's going to happen because we purpose to make it happen. So discipleship requires a commitment to call, a commitment to creation. Now remember, the evolutionists say there had to be just the right environment for life to come out of the ooze, right? No, but there does need to be the right environment. And there is a, an environment that, that is right for discipleship. So along with a commitment to call and a commitment to creation, there needs to be a commitment to community. Because discipleship is, is meant to occur in community. Just as you 
Hold up your index finger again. What good does this finger do you if it is not in community with the rest of your body? Doesn't do you much good, does it? My dad got his thumb, half his thumb cut off long before I was born. We, we liked to fish growing up, but my dad could never use an open face reel because he didn't have a thumb to control the line, so he had to use a spinning reel because it's the only thing he could operate. That's his thumb that got cut off, but you know what? It, it did him absolutely no good because it wasn't in community with the rest of his body. So discipleship requires the right environment. There is an environment that is right for making disciples. Everything has an environment that is conducive for fruitful growth. You, you guys know this, right? Fish live in water. They grow best in water. They reproduce best, best in water. If you believe your goldfish out on the counter, it's probably not going to grow. Probably not going to have baby goldfish. Birds do best in the air, right? I mean, God gave them wings for a purpose. They fly. They flitter. Who, who has put your hummingbird feeders out? Have you seen? I mean, we've got two hummingbird feeders in our porch. I'm telling you what, it's amazing how many hummingbirds. They're fascinating to watch. If, you know, if you just, just go to Walmart and buy you a hummingbird feeder and turn the TV off. And go and just sit on your porch and watch the hummingbirds. They're, they're fascinating. They really are. Then you can turn the TV back on when the hummingbirds go to sleep. But it will give you a sense of wonderment of your creator. It really will. Those hummingbirds do best flying around. Not in a cage. Not in the house. There is an environment conducive for their fruitful growth. And disciples are the same way. For disciples, it's in community. Community is the environment that is best to facilitate fruitful growth. God eternally lives in community, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You know, God wasn't lonely and He decided to create man. You do understand that, right? God didn't create us because He was lonely. Because He got tired of the father got tired of just visiting with the son and the spirit. So they decided they'd make somebody else to bring into their little community. No, that's not why. But do you understand this truth that God has eternally existed in community? The very, the very reality of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't you know that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Hear the heart of Jesus speak of the community that He lived in. Perfect union with the Father. Here is the Godhead in perfect union, in perfect community. And the Bible says, going back to Genesis 1, that man was created in whose image? In God's image. And if we men are created in the image of God, and God has eternally existed in community, there is something about community that is inherent in us and for us. We were created, destined to be people who live and thrive in community. 
It is the truth. We see this in all things. In the Godhead, we see it in the angels, we see it in the whole created order. We see it. This is the rule. We see it between man and God. Adam and Eve and God living in communion in the garden. What broke the communion? Sin broke the communion. We see it when Adam and Eve have children. That family lived together. Do you realize family is a community? We see it in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They dwelt together in tents looking for a city with foundations whose builder and maker was God, never settling for an earthly city. They lived in community. We see it in the children of Israel. We see it in the church. The body of Christ. The family of God. Let's think about this. Why does the Bible refer to the church in such communal terms? Think about this. The body of Christ. A body is a community of members joined and functioning together under one head. 1 Corinthians 12.27, Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ. And from verses 12 to 27 in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives a beautiful picture of the human body and how we, the individual members, are like that one body, functioning together, joined together, thriving together, living, experiencing life together. In community. The family of God, Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, says that we we bear the identity of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says the entire family in heaven and on earth bear the identity of the Son. He calls us right there a family in heaven and on earth. This is the hope we have. Our loved ones, those that have, we don't just have family on earth, we have family in heaven. We are the family of God. A family is a community. And the family of God is the community of believers, connected, sharing, growing together. Where? Where? In Christ. Just like your finger is connected. Sharing, growing together in your body. We are Individual members joined to Him, connected to Him, sharing in Him, growing in the grace and the knowledge of Him in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Peter uses these descriptors. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own very special people. He goes on, he declares, we were once not a people. In other words, we once had no identity, but now we are the people of God. And these terms describe a people with an identity of unity and community. Discipleship requires a commitment to the call that Jesus has placed upon his church to make disciples. It requires a commitment 
to creation, that discipleship is not just something that will organically happen. It should organically happen, just like I'm, I believe in organic gardening. So you guys know, come to my house, some people call my house the wasp sanctuary because I don't kill my wasp. Because they really are beneficial insects unless you're allergic to them. So my wife did kill all the ones on the porch. But you can go out and you can find, really, if you want to see some really big wasp nests, come to my house. I've got some giant wasp nests. They're, they're, they're good. They're beneficial. So when I grow a garden, if it ever rains again, I like to grow my garden and not put chemicals on there. So I can just go and... So I'm all about organic. I think the best way for things to happen is organically. But how many know this? For those of you that plant vegetable gardens, they don't happen accidentally, do they? You might garden organically, and there are organic things that transpire within that garden that really are wonderful and really are good, but somebody had to go out there and make that seed planted in that ground. Somebody had to go plant that seed. Somebody goes and waters it. There is purpose behind that happening. So it's fine for us to say we want organic growth. Somebody's got to plant the garden, right? Somebody's got to plant the seed. But it's God who will bring the increase. Amen? And so all of these descriptors about community, living in community doesn't happen by accident anymore then life evolving on earth or the church making disciples happens by accident. Living in community requires a commitment. It really does. To be in relationship with one another. How is the relationship pictured? It's as intimate as your fingers connected to your hand, connected to your wrist, connected to your elbow. It's that intimate. It's that, it's that level of community and connectedness that God says that his body is to have. This is the environment that discipleship is to take place in. Discipleship it requires a purposeful commitment to the call, to creation, and to community. Amen? You have to desire that. Not just you desiring to make disciples, but you have to desire in your heart that you want to be a disciple. You can't help make a disciple if you don't first have that commitment to discipleship. And the greatest thing we can give to people, the greatest thing we can impart to them, the greatest thing I believe that we can do is to share Christ with them. And when I share Christ, I'm not, I'm not talking about just walk down the street, hey, you know, Jesus loves you. If you ask him in your heart, uh, you'll be saved today. See you later, gotta go. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, are we willing to walk with people? Are you willing to suffer with people? To cry with people, to laugh with people, to experience their joy and to experience their pain. This is what we're called to as the church. That's risky. That's risky. Because when you do that, you put yourself out there. And you might get hurt. But are you willing to take the risk? 
for the joy that is set before us. Jesus was, and I'm so glad that he was. And Jesus is not calling us to do anything that he has not already done. We are here today having this conversation because Jesus understood the importance of discipleship. And we would not be here today had he not called those men to leave everything behind and follow him. Discipleship. It takes a commitment. Can we make it happen, church? Can we make it happen? It has to begin here before it can spread anywhere else. But I believe that we can if we are willing. Let's stand. God sent the children of Israel. They left Sinai. The ark went before them three days, came to the entrance of the promised land. God told Moses, send 12 spies into the land. They were there for 40 days. They came back. Ten with an evil report, two with a good report. Says, hey, the land is great. Let's go in. Let's take it. The other ten say, hey, you forgot to tell them there's giants in the land. Huh, who cares about the giants? God is on our side. Well, the, long, the short of the long story is this. The people of God believed the evil report and thought only of all the reasons why they should not and could not take the land. When we talk about things like discipleship, there are a million things going through your mind telling you why you should not and cannot. And they might be lots of valid excuses. But this goes back to my message last week. Until we come to a place of finding our greatest joy in Christ. This will just be an obligation. Don't let it be an obligation. Let discipleship, beginning in your heart first, become your greatest joy. Father, I ask you today that by the power of your Spirit, Lord, you would do what only you can do. God, we can plant, we can water. We can preach, we can teach, we can give out Scripture. But God, it's only you that can find entrance into the heart of man and take a cold, stony heart and make it a warm heart of flesh. Lord, only you can cause those hard, dry, bleach white bones to rise up and become a living being. Indeed, a life-giving spirit. Only you can do that, God. We ask you today, Lord, that you would help your church, that you would help your people find their greatest joy in you, that we would find it our joy to be committed to what you have called us to, to make disciples, to be disciples, to create them, to make them, to form them, and to find our greatest joy in seeing that process accomplished. And that we would be a people, Lord, committed to community, committed to one another, committed to the body of Christ. That you would be glorified in all things, Father. We ask this, Lord, today in the name of your dear Son. We ask it that you would be glorified through the fruitfulness of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.
Please be sure and see the Gideons on your way out. Bill and Royce, thank you for being here today. God bless you. We'll see you guys Wednesday. If not Wednesday, we'll see you next Sunday.